Welcome to the Journey Student Ministry Podcast. We're so glad you're here. JSM exists to engage students in the process of knowing Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to be more like Him. I'm Lindsay. I'm one of the ninth grade small group leaders here, and I get to speak every now and then. Um, And so tonight we're going to speak and look um, at another part of our series that we're in called Unmasked, where we've been looking at integrity. Does anybody know what integrity is? Can somebody explain to me what integrity is? You right there. Exactly. That's perfect. Doing something good even when no one is looking. Making the right choices all of the time. And so that's what we've been looking at through this series is how God has called us to have integrity, how, how we can practically be people that have integrity, that um, are truthful and that we're honest and we're trustworthy and those different things. And then, and then we're, we've also looked at how um, God has to do some digging sometimes in our lives to help us have integrity and last week, if you were here, Pastor Bobby, my dad was up here and, and he spoke about um, how, how sometimes we have to dig the things out of our lives that have been hiding in the dark. And he had a book bag that he kind of poured out all of this junk from. And, and then he showed how things sometimes hide in the dark and they grow in us. And, and God wants us to move those things into the light so that we can have integrity, so that God can change us from the inside out. But tonight we're going to look at the other side of this. And that sometimes we mess up, that we can try as hard as we want to be truthful and to be honest and to be trustworthy and to have good character and and, and make the right decisions all the time and have integrity. But the truth is we are going to fail sometimes. That's what God's word says. It says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I think it's important for us to see that, that yes, God calls us to be people of integrity and we should focus on that. We should run after that. But I think we should also see and understand what God's word says on the other side. If even when we do fall short, even when we do mess up, how does God respond to us? And so we're going to look at this question of what happens next. After we mess up, what happens next? How does God respond to us. And one of the ways that we can see that is, is through this, this story in the Bible, um, in the book of 2 Kings. And so 2 Kings is in the Old Testament. And it's this story, um, or it's this book of history. And so it tells you all of these stories of great battles and kings and, and all of this history of different nations from the Old Testament, of Israel and Syria and Judah and all of these places. So we get to learn about the history of God's people and what he did through the Old Testament and from the beginning of time all the way up until now. And so 2 King um, chapter 5, it tells us this story um, of this man named Nahum, and then there's this man named Gehazi, and then there's this man named Elisha. And so what we're going to look at is this story about this man named Gehazi, and his name is actually not Gehazi. Patrick told me right before I was getting up to speak for high school that I was saying his name wrong, but I don't remember how he told me to say it correctly. So we're just going to roll with Gehazi, and we'll all know what I'm talking about, okay? So it was about this man named Gehazi, and Gehazi was the servant or employee of the man named Elisha, and Elisha was a prophet of God. And what a prophet of God is, 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 is someone who God speaks to, and then they speak for God and share a message to other people. 
And so Elisha was a prophet of God. God spoke to Elisha and through Elisha to other people. God used him as a mouthpiece to speak to other people. And so Elisha loved God. He knew God. He served God. He was a great man. And then there was this man, Nahum. And Nahum was the head of the army for for the um, nation of Syria. So he was a very important man. He was a smart man. He was probably a rich man. He was a very respected man. And he was a good man too. It wasn't like he was evil or anything like that. But the, the thing is, is also Nahum had a disease. He had leprosy. And leprosy is this painful and nasty and sometimes stinky and gross disease that um, affects your skin. And it's highly contagious. And so people that have leprosy in these times were cast out of society. They were, um, people didn't get close to them. They knew and understood the idea of social distancing before COVID came around. They, um, no one wanted to be around them. And so Nahum was this great respected man, but he also had this disease that affected him that kind of plagued him and, and always affected his life and his friends and all of this stuff. And so we, we hear of this story in, in second Kings five, where, um, Elisha did something nice for Nahum. And so he, he did something for him. Um, and Nahum wanted to pay Elisha back for what he had done. He wanted to give Elisha a gift for what he did. But Elisha said, no, I don't work for you. I serve God. So you don't need to give me a gift. I don't need anything. Consider it done. Consider it free of charge. Give God the glory instead of giving me the gifts. But Gehazi, Elisha's servant, heard Elisha turn down the gift from Nahum. And Gehazi was, Gehazi was like, uh-uh, I want what he was supposed to have. And so he runs after Nahum. After Nahum had left the city that he was in, he was going back home. Um, Gehazi chased after Nahum after his horses and all of them had gone down the road. And so he chased after him and he lies to Nahum. And so he says, Gehazi says, hey, Nahum, um, sorry to bother you again. I know you're on your way home, but um, Elisha, the prophet, actually changed his mind and he wanted all the gifts that you were going to give him. So I'll just take him home to him and I'll carry him back home and, and I'll make sure that he gets the gifts. And so Gehazi lied to Nah- Nah- Nahum. And he lied and said that Elisha changed his mind. And so Gehazi took all of these gifts, over 240 pounds of silver, animals, uh, crazy fancy clothes and jewelry and shoes. So many gifts that, that um, Gehazi needed two, the help of two of Nahum's servants to carry all this stuff. So that's how much stuff, how many gifts the Nahum gave to Gehazi. Three people had to carry this stuff back. And so they carried this stuff back to Elisha's home and to Gehazi's home. And Gehazi took this into his house and he hid the gifts. Why do you think that he hid the gifts? Exactly. Because he knew that he was not supposed to have them. He knew that he had done wrong. And so he knew that he had to hide what he had done from Elisha so that he wouldn't have been caught. Before he was even caught, he knew he had done wrong. But Elisha knew that something was up. 
Elisha was a prophet of God, so God maybe told him that Gehazi was up to something, or Elisha was also just a very smart man, so maybe he was just a good judge of character, but some way or another, Elisha knew that Gehazi was up to no good, and so Elisha says, Gehazi, where have you been? And Gehazi says, oh, I've been nowhere. I'm your servant. I've been right here beside you, and Elisha says, I don't believe that one bit. And he says, um, in the scripture, it says, but my heart went with you. And that's just kind of a fancy way that he said, I have a gut feeling that you were up to something bad. Or have any of y'all ever heard um, where somebody says, oh, was your, like your ear was burning because somebody was talking about you? Have y'all ever heard that? No, maybe leaders have heard that. But like your, your ear starts to burn or it turns red because somebody's been talking about you. And that's pretty much what Elisha was saying. He said, I got this gut feeling like something is going on. My heart feels it that you aren't telling me the whole truth here. And so Gehazi's like, yeah, you're right. I'm not telling the truth. I went and took all of the gifts that Nahum had for you and I took them for myself and I hid them in my room, in my closet so that you wouldn't find them. And so um, Elisha says, here's the deal. You can keep everything that Nahum gave you. You were greedy. You got what you wanted. You keep it. But I'm also going to give you something else. You, if you wanted what Nahum had, I'm going to give you all of his riches and also his disease. So, so Gehazi, for the price that he paid for, for lying, for not having integrity, for not being truthful, was he also got Nahum's disease. He became a leper. From that day on, for the rest of his life, Gehazi had this disease that he walked around with that marked him forever. Gehazi had to face the consequence of what he had done wrong. And so from this story, we can see a few different things about integrity. For one, we can see that when we don't have integrity, it hurts us. Gehazi thought that he got away with it, but then he was caught not having integrity by Elisha. And because of that, he was hurt. He had to deal with the consequence. He had to deal with being a leper for the rest of his life. So lying and not being honest hurts us. Lying and not being honest also hurts others. Gehazi kind of messed up Elisha's name through this. When he lied on behalf of Elisha, he kind of hurt his reputation. He hurt his um, boss's reputation. And, and, so, and so we can see that lying hurts others as well. But this is the other truth that we can see. Is that though we fall short, our sin does not change God's love for us. Our sin does not separate us from God's love. We can see that in this story that God doesn't say to Gehazi, oh, you messed up and I'm never going to use you again. Or, oh, you were greedy and now you're not worthy of my love. Or, oh, you messed up and you don't deserve any friends now. But instead, God continues to use Gehazi for his ministry. He continues to bless him. He had to teach him a lesson, but that doesn't mean that God was done with him for the rest of his life. And this is the truth, and this is how we know it's true, that, that our sin doesn't separate us from God's love, because Romans 8, 38 and 39 even tells us 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, and nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. So we can rest in this truth that God is good and because Jesus laid down his life for us as a sacrifice, he paid the debt for all of our sins. Nothing separates from the, us from the love of God because Jesus gave his life for us. We don't have to be separated from God. No matter what we have done, no matter what we will do, no matter who's in control, nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But the other truth is that just because God loves us doesn't mean that he isn't going to keep us from trouble. It doesn't mean that he is going to um, protect us from every consequence that we might have to face for the decisions that we've made. There are some times that even though God loves us, we are going to have to pay the price for our mistake. God's word, nowhere in God's word does he say, hey, go make every bad decision you want to make, go sin however you want to, and I'll take care of it. I'll make sure you don't get in trouble for it. I'll make sure it doesn't hurt anybody else. I'll make sure it doesn't hurt you. God doesn't say that. God actually tells us in Romans 8, 28, that, that he will actually use these consequences for our good. That he will use bad things and make them good. That he will use bad things so that we can be more like him. This is what it says. It says, and I know that in all things, God works for the, for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And so this verse doesn't promise that God, it doesn't say that God will make all things good, but he says that he will work all things for the good of those that love him. So it doesn't mean that everything will be um, rainbows and unicorns all the time and that there'll never be a storm that will pass over us. But instead, what it's saying is God is going to use the storm that we may walk through to teach us, to make us more like him. God will use the consequence that we have to face for the decisions that we make to teach us to be more like him. God used the leprosy that Gehazi um, that Gehazi was um, given and, and dealt with for his good, to teach him about God, to teach him that God is good and all of those things. And so God uses consequences and uh, when we make bad decisions to teach us to be more like him. And so students, this is what I want you to understand is that when you face consequences, it's not because God stopped loving you. When you face consequences, it is because God loves you. It is because God loves you that he wants you to change, that he wants you to learn from your mistakes. It is because God loves you and it's because of his grace that he wants to continue to teach you. He's not frustrated when you make the same mistake over and over again. Instead, he meets you with love to teach you, to correct you. And so, whoa. Um, we can see that God um, uses consequences to teach us. He, he uses them to teach us about his love, that we can see that God is good even when things are bad in our world, that God is good even when we make bad decisions. 
And so God uses hard things to teach us sometimes, just like Gehazi had to learn the hard way to not be greedy, to not lie, to make wise choices, to be truthful, all of these things. And Gehazi's life was harder because of the decisions that he made, but his life was not ruined. He wasn't separated from God's love. I like to think about it this other way, that, that C.S. Lewis, he is um, an author and he's a, a theologian and a great, um, just wise person. And, and he, wrote, he wrote it this way. He said, God allows us to experience the low points of life in order to teach us lessons that we could learn no other way. God uses the low points, the, the, um, the consequences that we face, the price that we have to pay for our mistake. He uses those things to teach us a lesson that we probably couldn't have learned any other way. It makes me think of my mother-in-law. She's told me before that when she was little, she used to think the, um, the fire under like the gas stove was so pretty. How It was blue and purple and orange, and it looked so cool, just like a perfect little flame on the stove. And when she was little, she always wanted to try to touch it because she just thought it was pretty. I want to touch it. And so she didn't realize it was hot. So over and over again, her parents had to say, that's hot. It's going to hurt you. Don't touch it. Don't reach there. It's hot. It's going to hurt you. And over and over again, they try to tell her that. And then they just decided, look, she's not listening. She's not going to hear. So maybe she just has to learn the hard way. She'll do it once and then she'll never do it again. And sure enough, they, they got tired of telling her that's going to hurt you. It's high. Don't touch it. And they let her touch it once and she never touched it again. And maybe that's how God is with us. Not that he inflicts pain upon us, but sometimes we have to learn from our own mistakes. There are sometimes that God will walk us through low points, hard points in our lives so we can learn lessons that way. And God does it so, because he loves us so that we can be more like him. And there's another story from a scripture that makes me think about how God responds to us when we mess up. And we can kind of see of the what happens next. So first we saw in this first story about Gehazi that when we mess up, God uses the consequences that we face to teach us, to make us more like him, to teach us a lesson so that we can learn from our mistakes but there's another story in the Bible that, that also points us to how God responds to us in love. That he opens his, eyes, his arms wide for us so that we can come to him and, 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 and um, embrace his grace and see his love for us. And it's the story of the prodigal son. And if you've grown up around church, you've probably heard of this story. It's about this family, this, this wealthy family. And there was his son in the family that he wanted his, his inheritance early. His, his father had already planned to give his sons an inheritance when he passed away. But the son decided that he wanted to, to get what was his before his father had passed away. And so his father said, you know what? If that's what you want, if that's your choice, I'll give it to you. And so the father gave the son his inheritance before he had passed away. And the son took all that money and he wasted it. He spent it on parties and, and on meaningless things, and he just wasted his money. He just dumped it out wherever he wanted to and was foolish with how he used his money. And so he eventually found himself working as a farmhand. 
And so he at one point was this person that had his own servants in his father's palace. He lived a life of luxury, but he went and wasted all the money that was given to him, left his family behind, and then found himself literally eating what he was feeding the pigs. He was so poor that he was not even trying to steal from people anymore. He was stealing from pigs. And so the, the son hit rock bottom as he was sitting there probably by the stinky pigs and the nasty rotten food that he was trying to eat. And, and he hit rock bottom. And he thought to himself, maybe I should go back to my father. And this is what it says in, in, in Luke 15, starting in verse 17. It says, but the son came to himself. He hit rock bottom. He realized where he was and he started thinking to himself. And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so the son arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. And when the father saw him, he felt compassion for his son. And he ran and embraced his son and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father said to him and to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on his feet and put on a ring on his hand and put shoes on his feet and bring him the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is now found. And they began to celebrate. So we see in this story how, how there was this son that he embarrassed his family. He wasted all the family's money he hurt his father's feelings by wasting all that he had given to him. And he hit rock bottom and he realized that the only place that he could go from there was back to his family's house. And he felt so ashamed of himself that he said that he felt like he wasn't even worthy of being a, called a son of the father again. But he just wanted to go there to just work as a servant for the family again to go work for his brother as a servant, to go work for his father as a servant because that's all he felt worthy of. But it says that, that he came back and the father met him and the father clothed him in clothes of dignity. He gave him clean, nice, fresh, fancy clothes. And he put uh, shoes on his feet that weren't dusty anymore. And he put a nice ring on his hand to mark him as his son. And then we see that, that the father ran to the son when he saw him far off. And I think when, when we think about that, that's such a beautiful picture. Just to think of the father standing maybe at the, at the wall of his palace, of his compound, and he, he sees his son from a far distance. And he's so overjoyed and, and moved that he saw his son, that his son was returning back after months and years of waiting for his son to come back. He finally sees him around the corner. And that in itself is a powerful picture. But, but the thing is, is I think we have to understand is that in these times, it wasn't good for men to run. It was embarrassing. It was disgraceful. It was shameful for a man to run, especially a man of this stature, of someone that was as honorable as this man, as the father. 
He shouldn't have been seen running. It almost was a cra- as crazy as a sight as if we were to see a man right now in his boxers running down Washington Road. That's how crazy it would have looked. You probably would have been embarrassed for him of like, why in the world does that man not have clothes on? That's how this man looked as he ran after his son. But this man set aside his pride. He set aside what, what was right to society, set that aside and ran and chased after his son. And then the other reason that he chased after his son is not just because he was excited to see him, but the truth is, is his son would have been beaten up and probably kicked out of the city if others saw him walking in. The whole city, the whole town knew what the son had, d- had done. He was the talk of the town at that time. So everyone knew that he wasted all of his father's money. Everyone knew that he brought shame to the family. And so the father had to run after the son and, and beat everyone to him so that he wouldn't be beaten up. The father had to run to the son and cover him and shield him so that he could be brought home. So that he could be brought home to be made whole. So that he could be brought home to be cleansed. So that he could be brought home to be fed and restored. The father ran after the son. He set aside his pride. He laid down his life for his son and chased after him to protect him from the guilt and the shame that others were going to place on him. And students and leaders, that is how God responds to us. That he runs after us. He sets his pride down. Scripture says that Jesus came as a servant. He was a king in heaven and he left his throne and he came as a servant to lay down his life for us. And God runs after us so that we can be brought home. He clothes us in dignity. He clothes us in freedom. He clothes us in redemption and grace and salvation and mercy. It protects us from the guilt and the shame and the death that the enemy brings upon us. So when we mess up, when we fall short, we can know and rest that God runs after us. God keeps running after us. God runs after us to embrace us to, with his love and he, and he runs after us to protect us from shame and give us freedom. God runs after us to welcome us home. And, and, and so we can see that when we mess up, that God loves us enough to teach us and use our mistakes to teach us to make us more like him. And God also loves us enough to run after us over and over again. And so for these next few moments, we're gonna reflect on this truth that God runs after you no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done in your past, when no matter what's hidden, no matter what you've done in darkness, no matter what you've done that no one else knows about, God still runs after you. And so maybe in this moment, you feel like God is is stirring something in you and he's calling you to run to him. Just like the, the prodigal son did, that he hit rock bottom and he knew the only place that he could go to find help again was back to his father. And maybe that's you right now. And in this moment, you know God is calling you to turn to him. And maybe you need to have a conversation with your small group leader and confess that sin to them and ask them for help so that they can walk beside you as you run back to the Father. 
Or maybe tonight is the first night that you feel that God is stirring you to run to him for the first time, that you don't have a relationship with him yet. And tonight you've heard of his, his goodness, that you've heard of his grace and his love for you and his forgiveness of all your sins. And you're ready to step into a relationship with God. You're ready to start a relationship with God and put your trust and your hope in him. And if that's you tonight, if you feel that stirring and you're ready to make that decision, talk to your small group leader about that. So they can walk with you through that. So they can help you become a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to sing this song that, that we sing before. And this is a song that just says that we're going to run to the Father. Just as God runs after us, we in turn, in response to his grace and his love and his goodness, we are going to run back to him. And so in this moment, we're going to sit and just reflect on who God is, what he's done for us. And ask God, how is he longing for you to respond to him? Do you need to respond in, in repentance to him? Do you need to respond for the first time to him and ask for salvation? Whatever it is, just sit for this moment. Ask God what he's, te what he's speaking to you. Be obedient to him. Listen to him in this quiet moment. God, we're so thankful for who you are. That you are such a loving father that when we fall short, that when we mess up, you want to keep teaching us the right way. God, you don't get frustrated with us. Your mercy doesn't run out for us. And so we're thankful that even when we make mistakes over and over again, you still are running after us, that you still long to teach us to change us, to be more like you. And Father, we're thankful that you are like the loving father of the prodigal son that chases us down, that sets aside your pride, that lays down your life for us so that we may have life in you. We're thankful for how you clothe us in forgiveness and salvation and dignity and life, Lord. And so we're thankful for who you are and all that you've done for us. And in this moment, we respond to you. We praise you for who you are. We respond to you as you draw us close to you in this moment, God. So pray for every leader and student in here that they would respond to you, that they would be open and willing to listen to what you are speaking to them in this moment, Lord. That they wouldn't be distracted, but they would focus in on your voice and what you are speaking and doing in this moment. So Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Amen. Thanks again for listening to Journey Student Ministry Podcast. If you need help taking your next step, email our team at jsmnextsteps at journeycommunity.net.